kids, head to the kids' table, if you haven't already, ages pre-K, 4 to 3rd grade, I forgot to put my stuff down here, so. Take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14. I'm guessing y'all can hear that echo too, but so I'll let you deal with it. Mark chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verses 32 through 42 this morning. Uh, this week, uh, if you're on Facebook, you saw, goodness, is that what it is? It's just, just, just really loud? Okay, well, I'll let them... Let them work on it, but they can't work on it if I don't talk. So uh, this weekend, we uh, this week, four of us went to Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, to take part in their prayer meeting. I'm going to talk more about that in a in a few minutes, but uh, let me just say that God spoke while we were there, um, and in ways that that honestly, that's not what I why I went, but uh, He spoke, and uh, I have to listen. Uh, let's uh, do our memory verse this morning, and I was going to practice it, and then I didn't. So, let's see how badly I can mess this up. Let's all mess up together. Calling the crowd along with the disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me... Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose his life... But whoever saves... Is that what it says? But whoever loses his life... I'm sorry. Second line from the bottom... But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Mark 8, 34 and 35. We've got two weeks. Two more weeks. Three more weeks. Well, we've got to work on that. All right. We're getting there. The more we say it, the more we'll learn it. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. There's, when we, when we come to this passage, um, there's, there's authorial intent. Why was Mark including this? Um, lots of reasons. Uh, part of it is because it's a part of the story. It's part of what was going on. Mark is telling the, the, the message of Jesus, just Jesus, right? He's telling us what's going on. And this is part of it. And there, there, there are no direct commands to us here. Uh, it's not that sort of passage. There are direct commands to the disciples, and there are, there are certainly principles to glean, but this morning, this is going to be probably m much more of a topical message than I normally preach, um, because it's the topic of prayer that I want to cover. I wish I could say, 
that, that I was smart enough to have planned the trip to Brooklyn for this week because this was the passage that was coming the following Sunday. But the truth is, we went this week because two weeks ago there was something else going on. Last week, I've forgotten now what was happening. There was something Sunday and Monday that we couldn't go. Because Tuesday night prayer meeting, we had to be there on Tuesday. Yeah, I had to plan it far enough out. Uh, next week was, is um, YEC. The, uh, oh, oh, tonight and tomorrow, or tomorrow and Tuesday, is the Louisiana Baptist Convention annual meeting. So before December, the only date that was available, the only week that was available was this past one. I didn't look to see what the passage was. I don't generally look that far ahead. Uh, I looked that far ahead at the beginning of the quarter, but not in subsequent, subsequent weeks. I'm generally more focused on whatever that week is. And then the passage is about prayer. On the week that we go to Brooklyn to visit Brooklyn Tabernacle, to get to sit down with the pastor, to ask questions about their prayer meeting, because we want to start a prayer meeting here that is intentional and, 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 and vibrant and uh, focused. And then God does this through LifeWay's planning three years in advance. So to begin the topical more topical message. I'm going to talk about the passage. It's not purely topical, but you'll see. We can no longer treat prayer as an afterthought, or as some of us may treat it as altogether unnecessary. God's going to do what he's going to do, so we don't even have to pray. We have to pray as a church body, and ladies, 13 yesterday, awesome. 13 at our prayer meeting, that's like triple or quadruple the average for, for our ladies' prayer meeting on Sunday, uh, on Saturday, and I'm, I'm so proud of you for, for showing up and doing that. But we have got to pray with passion, with intentionality, with fervency, with awareness, with faith. And that is going to radically change the way I pray right now. And probably the way most of us pray right now. It's going to change what we pray for. If you're like me, it's normally what what do I need right now that I'm going to God for to ask for so he'll give me whatever it is at the time? Our big idea this morning is extremely simple. We must pray. And I, I, this is not a new topic. I've been talking about it for a few weeks now, sort of leading up to this. And then we get to this passage and, and there's, like I said, there's a lot here. There's a lot of Christology, a lot about who Jesus is. There's a lot about uh, the, 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 I mean, we could discuss his 
his desire, his human desire, we're going to talk about a little bit, to, to not go to the cross and all of that. But we are focusing on prayer this morning. Read with me Mark chapter 14, 32 through 42. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again, he came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Going to divide this message into three points. Um, Jesus, disciples, and us. Going to start with Jesus and what's going on with him in this passage. Verse 34 tells us that he is grieved to the point of dying. It, 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 it is, he's grieved to death is, is literally what it means. It is such a crushing moment that it feels like it could kill him. I, to my knowledge, to my memory, I've never experienced such, such grief that I just thought it was so bad I could die. And yet that is how the scripture describes his grief here. Deeply distressed and troubled. It, our, our English doesn't cover it really well. It's, it, 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 it needs more adjectives. It, it, it is just, he is beside himself. He is beyond himself. He has he is come to a point that he has never experienced in his 33 years of incarnation. He is grieved to the point of dying. And there are any number of things he could have done in that moment we would have possibly done. Maybe some retail therapy. Go shopping. Go, you know, eat. Gripe and complain. Call a friend. A number of things that we might do in that situation. But Jesus prayed. He prayed. So grieved he could die, so he prayed. 
and what was grieving him so? Verses 35 and 36 tell us. He didn't want to go through what he was about to go through. His, his human side, his, his humanity, and I don't want to say side as if they were somehow separate. They weren't. But in his humanity, he did not want to go through what he was going through. It, it, certainly, he didn't want to experience the pain of the beating and the cross and all that was coming. He knew that this is why he was here. I've I've told you this before, and and I'll remind you that in his incarnation, the human Jesus set aside, uh, voluntarily set aside, and temporarily set aside the free use of his divine attributes. So he knew as God had enlightened him, as he had gone to his father in prayer, as God had told him, he knew what he was there for. And I think in many ways he knew what he was going to go through. I think he understood the, the depths of physical pain he would experience. But as bad as that was going to be, I don't think that was the number one concern on his mind. Other passages in scripture, Paul writes, others write, to face our martyrdom, to take up our cross and follow him, to face what might physically come with courage. This wasn't cowardice against the physical This was an understanding of the spiritual load he would carry on the cross. In that moment on the cross, when he cries out the the cry of dereliction, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know as best we can that the Trinity cannot be divided. The Son never ceased to be the Son, even in His carnation. In that moment, the Trinity was not split somehow, the Son and the Father somehow separate. But in that moment, when Jesus, in His incarnation, who had voluntarily and temporarily set aside the free use of His divine attributes, the man on the cross at that moment, because God did not show himself to him, felt separated from the Father. And he knew what that was going to be like. He knew what the experience, as best he could, what the experience of carrying our sin was going to be. Not just yours, not just mine, but everyone's from the beginning of time to the end of time. He carried the sin of humanity in that moment. He knows what's coming and he does not want to go through it. He's willing But he's not wanting what is coming. So he prays. He goes to the only one that can change it. If he so desires, and he doesn't because this is the only way. But he also goes to the only one who can provide the courage and the strength 
to get through it in his humanity, in Christ's humanity. He prays. And he presents his petition, if it is possible, if there is any other way, but not my will, yours. It's a great lesson right there. Take your petitions to the Lord and end it with, but I'll do whatever you say. He gets up from his praying three different times and finds them asleep. Verses 37 and 40 through 41, Jesus is abandoned by their inability to obey. Has Jesus ever felt abandoned by my inability to obey? Yes. I claim I'm his, but then I don't do what he says. In this circumstance, in this text, he is betrayed by their failure. And he's going to be betrayed by them again in the garden in just a little bit, just a few minutes. When his betrayer shows up, they all scatter. And then over into the morning, Peter will betray him vocally, verbally, clearly. No one will stand with him. And he is praying. Father, if there is some way for this to work out differently than the way we know it needs to work out, do it. But regardless, in verse 42, he resolves to obey. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Here he comes. Let's face him. This is what's next. We're facing it. Though The three that had betrayed him and slept, he calls them with him again. Come on. They're going to betray him again and again. And yet he calls them to go with him anyway. That's what we see of Jesus in this passage. The, the, the agony, the prayer, and then this still inclusion of his, his followers, even though they're not doing such a great job of following him at this moment. Next, we, we look at the disciples. It begins with Jesus, but the disciples are half this story. In verse 32, he tells the whole group of disciples to sit. Sit right here. Sit here while I pray. Does that mean it's the 12? Does that mean there are more than that? There are more than that in the upper room, more than just the 12, to, despite the pretty painting. Uh, there were a bunch there. Did more follow him, follow him to the garden? Who knows? We're not, we're not given a head count. But he tells whoever's there, sit here while I pray. I contend the expectation was that they would pray as well. I mean, if, if, if the master is going to do something, if the teacher does something, the disciples then probably should be doing the same thing. Sit here while I pray. And then he takes three with him, Peter, 
James and John, and they go a little further off. And he says to them, I'm deeply grieved. He is expecting those three to agonize with him. I'm telling you what I'm going through so we can share this burden. Pray with me in this time. I'm going through this, but because I am, you are too. Or at least you should be. Pray with me. And he goes a little further off. And he begins to pray. We learn in other Gospels that the stress was so much that it it ruptured the capillaries in his face. So that he sweat blood. Blood dripped down his face because of the intense pressure on him. Internal pressure, not external physical, but emotional, spiritual, and psychological pressure. Pray with me. This decision, this next thing, these next few hours... It's about all of us. It affects all of us. Pray with me. Agonize with me. Care about what I'm going through. So they went to sleep. It's been a long day. They had the whole Passover meal. They probably ate a lot. It's very late. They're exhausted. They don't get what's going on. They, they don't understand what's about to happen. He's told them, yes, but we know they just didn't get it. But the fact, y'all, it was not lost on them what he was physically experiencing. No one is grieved unto death without showing physical signs of that. They saw him. And they went to sleep. They gave in to that exhaustion in verses 37, 40, and 41. Three times. He comes back the first time and he encourages them. Look, I understand. Flesh is willing. Spirit is willing. Flesh is weak. I know. I understand what you're going through. I get it. But you've got to pray against that. You've got to pray so you can pray. You have to pray in preparation for prayer. The temptation is going to be to go to sleep. But you need to pray. Work against that. It's only been an hour. Comes back a second time. Doesn't record what he said. It does record that they had no answer. They didn't know what to say. What do you say when the guy shows up who's asked you to pray for him? Pray with him. He shows up and his face is bloody from the stress and you've been snoozing. That's what you say. And that's what they said. Not only have they abandoned him in his time of need in prayer, they have missed their opportunity To prepare for what was coming, verse 42. Behold, my betrayer is here. Enough in verse 41, he says. It's over now. 
The time's come. The hour is here. The cup that I'm about to drink is being passed to me. They miss their opportunity to prepare for the next step, the next attack, the next change. What might have happened in the following verses when it says they scattered? Or further along when Peter denied him? In verses 66 through 72, what might have happened if they had been praying in these three hours instead of sleeping? Where would their strength have been? But instead they slept and they failed to stay with Jesus. They failed to be obedient. But hey, don't miss this. The verse right before this section, verse 31, they promised they wouldn't do this. Peter said, if everybody falls away, I won't. You'll deny me three times. Nuh-uh. And everybody there said the same thing. Verse 31, in case I misquoted it. And they all said the same thing. There. I'll die before I deny you. Maybe if they had been praying, when Jesus was praying, they would have, but they didn't, so they didn't. Uh, We're in this passage, too. This passage is for us. This whole book has been for us. Yes, the entire book is for us, but go with me here. For weeks now, we've been working through Mark, and and we were told in chapter 11, verse 17, that his house will be a house of prayer. Here he says, stay awake and pray. In chapter 9, verse 29, he said, this kind only comes out by In chapter 11, 24, we're told to ask and believe, pray. Verse 25, it says, forgive others when you pray. I think the message has been pretty clear through Mark. And yet, we would rather make the church a house of preferences than prayer. We'd rather sleep than pray. We'd rather argue about who is greater than take our place as servant immediately after Jesus says, by the way, I'm going to die. Great, Jesus, but who's greater? Can it be me and my brother? That'd be, I, I prefer that. We would rather try to do it our own way and by our own strength, rather than pray it through, you know, like the disciples who tried to cast out the demon but couldn't, the the one who would only come out by prayer. We would rather, as a church, worry more about money than the mission. And we would much rather scatter when things don't go our way than stick around and do the hard work of following Jesus and obeying him. We can no longer function this way as a church. 
We must be a house of prayer. We must stay awake and pray. We must pray knowing that this kind only comes out by prayer. We must ask and believe, and we must forgive others when we pray. The mission is too great. The, 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 the resistance is too intense. The work is too hard, and the harvest is, is too white to fail at prayer. We must pray. In the October business meeting, just a few weeks ago, I announced to the church that financially, the time had come when I must look for another church to go to. And that I had started sending resumes already. And even at that point, I had received some positive responses from other churches. Uh, questionnaires to fill out and that sort of thing. <laughs> On Tuesday, when we went to, to Brooklyn, Brooklyn Tabernacle, I, I went with the intention of, of praying about our prayer service, talking to Jim Cimbala about our prayer service, and there were, there were things more urgent to pray about at that time, and to talk to, to Jim about at that time. God took me in a different direction, and it ended up being prayer for what's next for me and for our church. And so, based on that prayer, based on what God said at the noon prayer time at in our conversation with Jim and uh, a text conversation with Etta and, and prayer that evening and that prayer time, I announced to you this morning that I am not going anywhere. It's not time. I, I didn't, like I said, I did not go with that in mind. I was going with the mindset of preparation for my departure. But I sat in that noon meeting and I started to pray about the prayer meeting and, and what we were going to be doing and, and the Lord just very clearly said, there are probably some other things we need to talk about here. And I'm like, yeah, okay, so how much longer will I be here so we can get this prayer meeting started, to get a foundation set, to get a direction going? And, and he said, let's back up just a little bit more. And I began to pray, what's next? Now, I've told many of you, I told you at the business meeting, I had no inkling, no mind at all that God was calling me to leave. This was purely on paper what I thought needed to happen based on promises I had made a couple of years ago. 
but I did not believe God was calling me away. And Tuesday, he made clear he's not. As a matter of fact, for me to leave now would be disobedient to him. We got into the meeting with Jim Cimbala, and he said, he just said, how's, how's the church in Sulphur? Okay, we'll talk about this right quick. Well, that was all we talked about for 45 minutes. And within 10 or 15 minutes of me just briefly explaining where we were, and he said, why are you leaving? Well, because it's this and that. He said, doesn't sound like God's in that. I, you need to stop. Now, he, he doesn't know the whole story, he did, he, but, but I prayed in that noon business meeting, God, business meeting, uh, prayer meeting, God, if, if this is you, make it clear. Because I thought I heard him. But, Lord, I need confirmation. I don't have enough faith to believe that you'll just talk to me about this. I need to hear from something else. And, Lord, it would be nice if that's somebody writing a big fat check to the church. Then, then it's taken care of. Don't have to worry about it. That is not how he chose to do it. And that's fine with me. I wrote the, the, the text conversation with Etta. I wrote this to her. I said, if we are continuing to see an increase in attendance, and we are, if we're seeing more and more young families visit and join our church, and we are, if we have more youth attending on Wednesday nights than in any year I've been here, and, and we do, and I don't know about Awana, I don't keep up with that number quite as much, I'm, I'm up there for youth every week. And if we're about to baptize more people in a year than any year I've been here, and we're one away from doing that, next Sunday we'll baptize two, that will be nine and ten, and we're talking to another one who is asking questions, that would be our eleventh, that would be the most this year, most in any one year. That's worth clapping for, absolutely. I wrote this to her. Why would I leave simply because we might spend money we already have? That was, that was what I got from the Lord at that noon meeting. And so I believe God at that moment told me not to leave. And let me tell you what kind of weight was lifted from my shoulders. I sat there thinking, there's just no doubt. But I wanted confirmation and as I said, within 10, 15 minutes of beginning our conversation with Jim Cimbala, he told me to stop trying to leave. Walking out the doors of the church to go eat late lunch, early supper before the evening prayer service, as we walked out the doors, Lee Bird said, well, I guess you need to stop sending resumes. Yeah, that's two confirmations. Sitting in the pizza restaurant, Justin and Jaden, same confirmation. So I'm not going. Now, I don't know what that means financially. I don't. But I know what is the obedient step now. I would love for God to give me the three-month, the one-year, and the five-year plan. But so far, he's given me the right-now plan. He has been a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He never says that he'll be floodlights 
all down the road. So I've got lamp and the light. And that's what I'm going on. But we must pray. We must pray. And it doesn't need to wait until we start a special prayer service on Tuesday nights, probably around 6.30, beginning in January, hypothetically. It starts this morning. So, Mindy, I'm going to ask you to come up to the piano. And we're going to take about 15, 20 minutes to pray this morning. So what I'm going to ask you to do first is, while she plays, and Mindy, I don't remember what songs they were, but whatever the two songs were before the sermon. I know, God, You're So Good, and Fresh Wind, I think. So just play through those two in just a few minutes when I ask you to start. And for those two songs, we are just going to pray. Pray that God provides. Whatever that means. However that means. And folks, some of y'all are part of the provision. Some of you who don't give at all, you're part of the provision. It is a church member responsibility to give to the church. Not to special missions. Not to money that's just passing through our hands, going somewhere else, but to give to the mission of the church. I can't tell you how much that is or what percentage it is. I have ideas of what Scripture says. I think, I think 10% is the standard, but the New Testament standard is... 10% is the beginning, but the New Testament standard is sacrificially. So whatever that means, and I know some of you do give sacrificially. I'm not asking anybody to give more than they give. I'm asking those who don't give to the church general fund to give. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart. But if the hundred and what hundred but yeah, hundred and twelve people who are in here this morning, if they are all obedient and the thirty or forty that that are every other week regular or every third week regular, if, if we all gave that, it's not going to be an issue. It, it won't be a problem. If we all give sacrificially, it won't be a problem. So that's one way that you can pray is that, Lord, what do I need to do differently? And Lord, impress on the hearts of others who need to give differently. But y'all, money really isn't even the problem. Money is no problem for God. What we have to be about as the church is the mission. And we have to pray for the mission. And the mission is lost people. The mission is not which song we sing that I like or don't like. The mission isn't whether I preach a 30-minute sermon or a 50-minute sermon. The mission isn't whether we have fun things to do at various times for various groups during the week. The mission is to see lost people come to Jesus and grow in their discipleship. And the mission is to see disciples, people who have already trusted Jesus, to continue to grow in their discipleship so that they are making disciples of lost people that grow in their discipleship. We grow and we go. That's why we've got the t-shirts. 
So if we are about the mission, all 150 of us who come at various times, if 150 of us are about the mission, the money will not be an issue. If we're all being obedient to Jesus, we'll be obedient to what our giving is and should be and so on. But we must pray because his house is to be a house of prayer. We must pray because we are told to stay awake and pray. This is no time to sleep, to, to be so unconcerned that we can laze our way through it. This is time to pray because this one this hardship this space in which we currently which we currently occupy this problem this issue only comes out by prayer because you know what they all only come out by prayer we pray because we were told to ask and believe and we pray as we pray, we forgive others. I'd have been perfectly happy if he had left that part out. Because there are some people that have made it their life's work to ruin my life. And I have to forgive those people when I pray. Otherwise, he won't hear me. So church, we must pray. So for two songs, so Miss, uh, Mindy, just, just play them straight through. Um, it'll be clear when we change and end. For two songs, it's just you come and pray. You kneel and pray. Then for the third song, I'll ask the praise team and everybody to come up for the, our regularly scheduled uh, song, whatever it is. Jesus paid it all. Good one. And then, in deacons, Justin, y'all normally stand in the back. We're going to stand at the front this morning. All five of us. So you can come and pray with somebody if that's what you need. I want you to pray for provision for our church. I want you to pray for somebody you know that is lost that does not know Jesus. You're one. We're going to start focusing more on who's your one again. And I want you to pray for the mission of the church, that we would be a church that makes disciples first and foremost and only if that's what we do. If we don't have a building, we don't have sound systems, and we don't have instruments, and we don't have a fellowship hall, and we don't have an activity center, fine, but we're still going to make disciples. Provision, the lost, and the mission. And you may want someone to pray with you about that. That's perfectly fine. You come and do that. So Mindy, start playing. For two songs, we must pray.